Welcome to Cigar City Radio, episode number 43. I'm your host, Randy Ojeda, and making the magic happen, the man with the plan, Mr. Jason Solanas. You know what I've been into lately, Randy? I'm a little nervous to find out. Just really, really, really... Oh, that sounds horrible. Don't rock it. Well, yeah, you can rock it. You can rock All right, it yeah, yeah, yeah. It. I mean, yeah, I guess you could rock then, it. Then you have reason to knock it for sure. Yeah, because you would have rocked it. I would have been rocked. For more episodes, head to CigarCityRadio.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Just search for Cigar City Radio. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And on all those networks, our username is Cigar City Radio. This episode of Cigar City Radio was recorded at the Blind Tiger in Ybor City. The Blind Tiger is a 1920s speakeasy-style coffee shop serving coffee, tea, vegan pastries, and more. With locations in Ybor City and Seminole Heights, you can check them out at blindtigercafe.com. In this episode, I got to sit down with the former owner and proprietor of King Corona Cigars, Don Barco, to discuss music over the course of his life. I've had the privilege to have many discussions about it with him in the past and knew I had to get him on the mic. We talked about his first memory of music at three years old, getting to experience the Beatles in their earliest years, music as it relates to politics, getting to know Led Zeppelin on mind-altering substances, and much, much more. We wish Don and his lovely wife, Brenda, a happy and fulfilling retirement. So here it is, episode number 43. What's, what's your first memory of actually listening to music? Uh, probably, I was probably about three years old. I was living uh, where I, my first years where I grew up in Ruskin. Mm. And I must have been three years old and my mother was ironing. Uh, we were in her bedroom. I was laying on the bed. She was ironing. It was summer in Florida. I remember it being hot, just like it is now. And uh there was a guy singing on the radio and I remember my mother uh, saying something about that being her favorite singer and it was Hank Williams. So then, you know, I, I was exposed to Hank Williams, you know, one of the uh, greats in American music yeah. uh, at when I was three years old. Did you like it back then? Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, you know, there was nothing else. I mean, yeah. there was at that time, you know, my mother, Although my mother did listen to a lot of different types of music. She was a big Elvis fan mm. when Elvis came along about uh, two or three years later. Um, the, the only music we listened to, we had, you know, we had the radio. And uh, back then, the radio was, uh, what I remember was either country music or pop music. And the pop music at the time... That was pre-rock and roll. There was, you know, the guys like uh, Perry Como, mm-hmm. middle of the road stuff, you know, uh, Frank Sinatra, some Frank Sinatra, that type of thing. So it was kind of, I probably listened to more country music. And I remember the other exposure was probably a year later when we got our first TV um, was uh, watching the Grand Ole Opry. 
Yeah. And so I was, again, exposed to, you know, the people that were popular at that time in country music, which was guys like Ernest Tubb and little Jimmy Dickens and Marvin Rainwater and, and people like that. And, you know, I didn't know that there was an, an other until Elvis came along. And that was, that was like, that was like uh, science fiction. I mean, that was like, that was a totally different world. And I remember as a kid watching him and, and looking around the adults in the room, you know, they were doing just, uh, you know, above the waist shots of him because they didn't want to get the gyrations. They were afraid <laughs> that they were going to screw their kids up, you know, yeah. with sex and stuff, you know. But I remember being, you know, he had this snarl and he had this pompadour with the curl hanging down like a Superman curl. And I remember him kind of scaring me. Really? Which, yeah, it was because he, you know, he had that snarl and, yeah, you know, yeah. I was a little kid. He scared me, but I liked it. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was dangerous. Type. Yeah, it was dangerous. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of, yeah, I was, and trying to figure it out. You know, that was, I was lucky enough to be around in music, to be alive when supposedly rock and roll started. Yeah. You know, the birth. Uh, yeah. When it, when it was born. Yeah. And getting to see all those people on TV back then, Elvis Presley and, Little Richard, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, mm -hmm. all those people back then, and and just thinking, it's always going to be like this. Yeah, you know, it was like every day somebody new came along, and you know there were some posers, you know, like Pat Boone, mm -hmm. uh, doing covers of Little Richard's music, which should have been he Pat Boone should have gone into satire comedy. Really, it was <laughs> it was that it was that bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So how, how do you think he got popular then? How? Well, uh, as as happened back then, what what white America did back then, uh, black music uh, back then, you know, before rock and roll, that that type of music, that music was already there. White people weren't aware of it by and large because they weren't listening to it. They didn't. Mm -hmm. They weren't exposed to it. But like would would happen and has happened often is that uh, the innovators were, it seems a lot of it came from the black community from the black world, mm. and so white community would rip it off. I mean, they would rip it right off and and put it on uh, to white America, and it was still good because the essence of the music was mm -hmm. good but it had been homogenized and watered down so much that, I mean, all you have to do is look at a side-by-side -side video of Pat Boone and Little Richard. Yeah, yeah. And it's like looking at a, you know, a, a, a picture in, in high school and a picture in the major leagues. There's yeah. that much, there was that much difference. It was apparent even to a, you know, a six or seven year old kid like me. I mean, yeah. if you had- That's all too similar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you think that's the beginning of formulaic rock and roll? Is that era? Well, I mean, it's it's the beginning of rock and roll, but they always called it show business, and the word business denotes a risk. Mm -hmm. So it's a risky business, and so you know, one of the most revered people in in rock and roll, who wasn't a mu musician but a promoter, was Alan Freed. Uh, he was revered, and he ended up getting busted for payola, but. I don't think he was doing anything different than was done every day all across the coast, mm. from coast to coast. From what I've read, and, I, and I've read a lot about different musicians because I, I absolutely love music. 
and had aspirations of being a musician. The only problem was I had no talent. So you have to, <laughs> well, there are some, you've seen, you've heard some musicians oh, yeah. that haven't had talent, but I wasn't one of them. Back then, yes, the musicians were getting ripped off. I remember reading some years ago someplace that Little Richard, with all the hits that he had back in the, in the 50s, that he was making about a penny a record. Jesus. Right. So there's always been this ripoff uh, for some reason in, in, it's, in, 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 in the record business and music industry, uh, which is so sad to me because the musicians are creating something that is so absolutely beautiful and such a, an ingrained part of our lives. And you have these sharks around them that are, are you know, Businessing the shit out of it. Businessing their lives yeah. and uh, ripping them off and make it harder for them to produce music. Although, it's weird. Uh, I read a quote this morning. I think it was by Quincy Jones who said, who was talking to some lady had asked him a question about the music industry. And his quote to her was, there is no music industry. So here it is. It's a weird place that we're in is they were looking back fondly at those times mm -hmm. when the musicians were getting ripped off. But the, the incredible part about it, even though the musicians were getting ripped off and they were playing all kinds of games with recording the music, a shitload of beautiful music was, you know, came through our culture. I grew up in the 60s and uh, I, I don't think there'll ever be another decade of innovation and in music like there was all through the 60s. Mm -hmm. There was just every genre of music. You could turn on AM radio and hear, and hear everything from Sinatra to the Beatles to Vanilla Fudge to, uh, you know, it just, it was all over the place. It mm -hmm. was it was all over the place. So, you know, I got to experience that too. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have experienced that. Going back to the Quincy Jones quote, I, I had a discussion recently with someone on Facebook um, that had commented on an article about that right. quote saying that he feels so sorry for music the way it is right, right. now and that uh, he's concerned for the future of musicians because it's getting harder and harder for them to make money. Right. Um, while I think that's true for some musicians, it seems like there's some kind of resurgence of creative talent because anyone can record anything. And there's less businessing going around the musicians. So the people right. that are creating now have direct distribution platforms. So there's nothing between them and their money, the maybe audience. one middleman. Right. Pirating is no longer necessary for people who enjoy music. For $10 right. a month, there are so many services that can do it for you right. that actually do pay out the musician. I mean, you can't expect any random person to record something and put it on Spotify and make a bunch of money on it. But it's never been that way. People have always created music and never made money on it. Right. And what I'm finding to be more and more fascinating is that because so many people can just create music and put it on Spotify or Amazon Music or Tidal, we're getting this enormous collection of music that's being uploaded and never listened to. Right. So in 20 years, people will be able to look back and do music discovery from... 2017, which music is that's never which been is mind blowing, which is absolutely mind blowing. And, and yeah, you know, you, you bring up a great point, Jason, because maybe part of the sadness about the death of the music industry is is just uh, maybe it was because it, it it has been our era, 
And it might be that we're in the middle of this huge transition in music mm-hmm. where we're on the cusp of something. You know, a lot of times the old saying, you know, uh, necessity is the mother of, of invention. Mm-hmm. I saw it happen in the cigar business. I've discussed with you before when, you know, the cigar boom happened in the 90s. It forced the industry to do things that they wouldn't do before because they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. So maybe now with the the, the technology changing things, yeah. there will be things uh, that I guess the sadness of it is what you illustrate is it's going to be 20 years before anybody Sees gets any to hear that. Music, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the stuff that is being listened to right now is, is listened to largely because of promotion, uh, and or the traditional way of touring and getting your music out there. But the days of, uh, of people writing some music and sending a demo and a record label going, holy shit, this is great, and plopping right. down a humongous check to right. make that person's career are done. That's that's not happening to but a much more select few. Well, maybe, maybe where the rub comes in with, with, with the music industry, is what we consider the music industry. And today I would consider the music industry, uh, the American idols, yeah. uh, you know, the, the still companies that are still left and, and everything is just, I mean, uh, the, a lot of the stuff that I hear that's mainstream just doesn't move me. It just yeah. sounds formulaic. It, you can hear the musicians are good, great musicians, yeah. But it just doesn't it just doesn't move me. That's a, my personal opinion. Yeah, the writing I, isn't there for a lot of it. And I know, I know, like I had a, a guitar instructor told me uh, forty years ago. I asked him what was he doing, teaching a, a schmuck like me, you know, for ten bucks a, an hour, when he sounded the guy sounded like George Benson, Eric Clapton, and. You know, Django Reinhardt rolled into one, and he goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you know, I have ears. I go, you're you're tremendous. What are you doing here teaching me? Why aren't you making money? Why aren't you out there?" And he said, and he laughed, and he said, "You know, for every Eric Clapton that you hear, there's a thousand Eric Claptons out there that you've never heard, mm-hmm. and I'm sure the same thing still holds true today." Absolutely, yeah. And I, I guess you know the thing is maybe we'll never have that. You know, we won't have the yeah. superstar things. You know, like they. Used there used to be. Yeah, not not the way it traditionally was. I mean, I uh, just for shits and giggles last year, I looked up um, Derek Trucks and how his career was going. Right. I've I've always been a fan of Derek Trucks. Right. Since yeah, I he's first incredible. To him. Yeah. Um, Derek Trucks is not someone that you would consider to be a widely famous musician. Right. But he is one of the wealthiest musicians in the world right now. So it seems to me like a lot of the stars are making their money in other ways instead of big checks from labels, you know? Right. So the, the products are changing, not necessarily the process. Right. And they're, you know, talking about musicians that are unknown, he's, I'm sure, he, I, I don't know, maybe he has more notoriety than Derek Trucks, but a, a musician that I love, that I've seen once, uh, that I think is an incredible uh, songwriter. I just love who he is. He, he doesn't mind exposing himself. He's, you know, he doesn't mind being naked in his songwriting. Uh, is Ro- a guy named Rodney Kroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in, uh, in Nashville, and he's been around for a long time. He was Johnny Cash's, uh, one of Johnny Cash's ex-son-in-laws. Uh, not a lot of people have heard of Rodney. I mean, he's well-known, mm-hmm. but he's not a superstar. Yeah. 
in my mind, he's a superstar. The guy's an incredible, incredible writer. He's got a great voice, and his songs are, are very, you know, they're meaningful. They're very poignant, mm -hmm. meaningful. Uh, so I guess it's maybe it's who you like. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like the percentage of population that's really into music enough to find people like that right. has been shrinking. Like the population has been growing fast enough that those people, like the total quantity of those people is growing, but the percentage of population that actually gives a shit to find new music outside of radio is kind of shrinking. Well, I, and really and truly comparing music to politics, mm -hmm. I, I kind of think it's the same way because, Absolutely. you know, I, I pay attention to politics and, you know, the, the things that make me want to pull my eyeballs out, uh, there's other people that have an opinion about politicians, but they're just not going very deep into what's going on. So maybe maybe our attention spans or something about our attention span. I don't know, but I, I know that there's nothing that I, as many times when you we were together in the store, that I would come in and I've heard somebody new. There's nothing I'd like more than just having somebody new knock me out with whether it's it's their voice or their songwriting or the their uh, musicianship there's there's nothing greater because it's you know to me music is a direct link to to something that's greater than all of us uh, you know you know you've heard how many times we heard the story of musicians coming up with an idea they woke up and they had this idea for a song <laughs> yeah. so it comes i think it it can come i've read a bit about this as well that Musicians don't know where their where their creativity their muse comes from, but uh, I just I just love being knocked out like that. Yeah. And maybe um, some of us have uh, to be a, a a little elitist. Maybe some of us have higher standards. I don't yeah. know. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. The, if the radio is just not providing the things that that push your buttons for music, right. then why listen to it? Right. You know. So going back to that was a that was a long break there. Going back to your uh, your childhood, how old were you when you uh, when you could first start choosing your music? You know, so um, like, how old were you when you had a record player? Eleven years old. Yeah, yeah, I was eleven. My uh, my family, my brothers, my mother gave me a a, a little uh, record player, and the first album that I uh, was given was. Uh, because my mother knew that Eleven was uh, G.I. Blues by Elvis Presley. This is when Elvis had gone away to the Army, mm -hmm. and most of it was, you know, some formulaic uh, throwaway songs, but there were, there were a couple of tunes on that were good. And I would just collect 45s, you know, by hook or crook. I mean, if I was driving down the street or riding down the street on my bicycle, and I saw someone had thrown something out and there were some records there, I would stop and go through the records and scavenge and uh, buy what I had money. I would uh, buy anything that I could get my hands on. Uh, but, uh, you know, an Elvis record was my first. Uh, and, you know, my, my 45s, it was, again, it was like a reflection of what AM radio was like. Uh, you know, I had songs by, uh, you know, I had 45s with, uh, uh, Johnny Mathis, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, mm -hmm. Little Richard, Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry. I mean, I was yeah. all over the place. Yeah. So going into your teenage years, what band was most influential 
when you were coming of age as a man? Well, most as most teenagers uh, at that time, I was struck by the lightning bolt that happened when the Beatles mm -hmm. came along. And, you know, when they appeared on the Ed Sullivan show, uh, I was glued to them uh, all the way through their breakup, uh, which took me into my early manhood. And you know, looking back at it, you know, as a, ch you know, as a child, uh, you know, there was all this hype, this cheap hype, the Beatlemania, all that mm. stuff. It was so, so chintzy and, and just so, you know, it was really, I mean, as a kid, you could see, you know, it was hype. Mm. Um, but the difference with the Beatles was the music was so goddamn good. I mean, it just, you know, yep, the, again, the hype, that was the music business. Yeah, they were yeah. trying to suck every dime out of every teeny bopper's pocket that they could. Mm. But um, uh, the music was incredible. I grew with them through all, you know, they came out, they, they hit in 60, February of 64. I was 13 and they broke up and uh, officially, I think in early in 1970. So I went through all their albums. That was my teenage years. That was my life yeah. story, everything that happened. And I, there were some things that I liked more uh, that, that, than others, you know, like uh, Sgt. Pepper's was a great album. I, that wasn't one of my favorites, although I like the songs on it. A couple of them I love. Uh, the White Album is one of my favorites. Yeah. So uh, they offered, they were geniuses. I don't know what the hell was in, in the water in Liverpool at the time, what they were <laughs> drinking, but those guys, I think, together, collectively together, they were absolute geniuses. They were innovators. Uh, they were fortunate enough to, to, to get together with someone like George Martin, mm. who could see the rawness, the energy, the creativity in their music, and and um, help them organize it and offer, offer them ideas to, to make it greater, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so they, it was the Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. After Be Beatlemania and your healthy obsession with the Beatles, where did music go where you feel like it went right and you feel like it went wrong. You know, again, I loved all different type kinds of music. I mm. loved the Beatles. And of course the Beatles were influenced by a lot of American, uh, American music, uh, Chuck Berry and Motown and, and all of that. Mm. Um, I love soul music. I think after, uh, Dr. King was assassinated up to that point, there was an, an incredible amount of music, uh, being made in Memphis, uh, and after after that point, things ch changed in America. Mm. Things changed. There's always everything that happens with us is always attached to politics. Those turbulent times from from um, November of of uh, 1963 when uh, JFK was assassinated, when Dr. King was assassinated, and shortly uh, thereafter Robert Kennedy. We went through some very turbulent times in the U.S., and it was uh, things changed after that. It seemed like the world got a little harder; it got a little meaner, and there was a lot of you know, people, we, baby boomers were growing up, and we were grappling with issues that we didn't necessarily have answers to, and and as part of that, that made it more difficult were drugs. Drugs mm -hmm. had come into the thing, and and I'm not 
judging drugs. I think there's a, a place for drugs. Uh, the experiment that was done that was bandied about by uh, Timothy Leary and, and, and all those guys uh, with LSD. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of uh, using drugs in a positive way in the right environment. I don't, I don't believe in, uh, you know, doing stupid things like making marijuana a schedule one drug yeah, absolutely. or, you know, mescaline, all those drugs. I, I think that, you know, as a society, we're hypocritical uh, that we take those things and make them schedule one drugs and then have other drugs that are killing people. Uh, they're pharmaceutical drugs mm -hmm. that uh, the pharmaceutical companies are, are making, uh, billions of dollars off of but the things that are that grow naturally like mescaline psilocybin peyote and marijuana uh which have a true value for us it's really hypocritical and i hope that changes one day but at any rate after those assassinations things got meaner and it started you know when you combine that uh confusion and hurt People being ostracized, like the Black Panthers, you know, the Black Panthers were labeled by the media as being this scary organization, but they were created as a, as a grassroots uh, local uh, group to help feed school children, mm -hmm. to give them breakfast before they went to school. And, uh, you know, I had this confusion and uh, mistrust of, of different groups. Mm. And I think that was encouraged by at the time by the government. You know, Nixon was uh, was there that Nixon brought us the war on drugs and mm -hmm. those types of things. So it made for a very turbulent and confusing, sometimes scary uh, time for a young person growing up that at that time. And then, of course, we had the Vietnamese War going on, which only added to that, which was another crazy thing in our oh, yeah. in our yeah. in our uh, history. So it, it all created a very aggressive atmosphere for music, and out of that came yeah. Led Zeppelin, who is right. arguably, uh, though not directly metal, the godfather of metal, right? Um, and other bands that were much more hard hitting than rock and roll had ever seen before. Yeah, it was the the change for me when I went into the uh, I went into the uh, basic training in October of uh, 1969, and up to that point, I was listening a lot of the music. I was listening it was a lot of AM radio, uh, the Beatles, the Stones, uh, you know, the Rascals, uh, Motown, uh, things like that, and in just those two months when I came home for Christmas. Uh, they let us come home uh, during basic training for Christmas for a week was my introduction to the, to uh, Led Zeppelin mm. and You're right. It was a completely different world and I had some uh, mind-altering uh, additives <laughs> when I was listening to uh, Led Zeppelin the first time and it and it enhanced the the sound of the music I must say <laughs> I bet, I bet. Uh, Was that a a terrifying experience for you because I mean in the first place that that generally breeds paranoia but also adding an aggressive kind of rock you hadn't listened to before well it's funny uh, I remember riding around with this this uh, kid that I uh, went to high school with uh, who introduced me to it we were riding around earlier in the day and he says I want you to listen listen to this and uh, 
He said, how do you like that? And I said, well, it sounds, you know, I like it, but, it, you know, it's kind of loud and, you know, it's, I can hear the blues influence. I like the blues, but, yeah, I'm not that. Well, we listened to it later that night, and uh, it was, I couldn't, get the, I couldn't get those sounds out of my head for, I mean, they stayed there for <laughs> weeks. And I was fascinated by that. That, that fascinated me. Uh, no, and no, it wasn't. It wasn't scary. It was different. There was, you know, the, it was a, it was a different experience. It could have been better because we were out in the streets. Yeah, you need to to, be, to experience that type of thing. It should be in a in a controlled yeah. environment. Grounded. We were young and stupid yeah. and didn't care and were invincible. But no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't paranoid at all. It was. Uh, it was actually like uh, science fiction. It yeah. was like being introduced to science fiction. Yeah, like the first transition to Elvis. Yes, that, that, another that major same, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, was there another transition after that that you found to be particularly significant in your, in your listening? Yeah, you know, that, that time in the late 60s, uh, there were all these new singer-songwriters, which was a, a kind of a new thing. At that back, in, back in the day, that you had songwriters who would write the songs, and then you had uh, singers uh, or bands who would perform the music, uh, entertainers. And so you had a whole slew of, of singer-songwriters that came along, uh, Carol King, James Taylor, um, Jackson Brown, people like that, that uh, for a while that was good, mm -hmm. but you know, radio beat it to death. I mean, they just beat it to, to fricking death. There's and only it, so and, much pop you can handle. Yeah, and it's, you know, it was, you know, and so much <laughs> introspectiveness, you know? I mean, mm. you know, sometimes you just want to get up and shake your ass and dance and <laughs> You know, that's, you know, that was kind of what, it just got beat to death. Yeah. And, you know, guys were, they were taking, you know, you know, the Beatles would cut an album in, you know, two weeks. They would do an album. And, you know, these guys were taking two, three, four years to, to do an album. Yeah. I'm going, damn, is it that much better? Are you telling me is that much better? <laughs> that much harder to make good yeah. music. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you think that would have been in, I mean, do you think that would have been indicative to their their talent comparatively taking so long yeah or just uh, them being careful i think to some degree it might have been just them being a little bit too full of themselves <laughs> you know i mean yeah. you know how much it's like the difference between a five dollar cigar and a twenty dollar cigar is yeah. the twenty dollar cigar really four times better than the five dollar uh, cigar no the price just, tag is four times better than exactly the $5 cigar. so it's good music is good music i mean if you've got the song written are you you're gonna sit there and split hairs and to try to figure out how many angels can dance on the head of a, a, a pen you know yeah. come on just cut the damn record man yeah. get it out there yeah so there, there was a lot of that going on and that was also at the time when uh the big big uh, venue uh, tours were happening, the stadiums, uh, which was one of the worst experiences of my life at that time. It was, it was a little bit later on, 1974, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Uh, I, when they announced that they were going to be here, I, I bought the tickets as soon as I could. I couldn't because I loved them. I, mm -hmm. Those guys made some, some great music, and uh, I especially loved... Uh, Stephen Stills and Neil Young, because you know I was into guitar and and those guys were were incredible and uh, 
so I went to Tampa Stadium to see him, and it was it was uh, festival seating. Mm. And never forget this. Jesse Colin Young had a, a couple of hits on the radio at the time, and he opened for them. It was great. He was kind of kind of a mixture of folk and and uh, jazz, mm-hmm. a little blues. It was uh, I think it might have I can't remember if it was the Fourth of July or the day before the Fourth of July. Something it was right around the Fourth of July. So Crosby, Sills, and Ash and Young come on stage. I'm on the field, I'm blanket with my wife, and I'm just, you know, I'm in heaven. I'm, I'm just, you know, so excited. And uh, they came out and they played, I think, maybe one or two songs, and they all left the stage except for Graham Nash. He sat at a, at a grand piano and started uh, playing uh, Our House. And he was about two bars into the song when about five feet from a, his head, a cherry bomb exploded. Holy Some, shit. Somebody threw a cherry bomb out there. And and I thought I was having a, a flashback or something. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was horrible. Yeah. And he played, he played two or three more notes and he got up and he had a harmonica around his neck. He threw the harmonica on the, on the uh, piano, stormed off the stage and Stephen Stills walked out and Stephen Stills, for those of you who don't know, did go to school here in Tampa. He went mm-hmm. to Flan High School for a while. He moved around a lot. He walked out on stage and said, I'm paraphrasing, you know, a few years back, I went to high school here in Tampa, uh, Plant High School, and he goes, I know exactly the type of asshole who threw that cherry bomb. And so, you know, from that moment on, it it got crazy. They Mm. came back, they started playing songs. I saw probably uh, uh, people were throwing uh, whole strings of firecrackers. Oh, Uh, shit. To me, to me, that was the day the music died, was that day. It wasn't, you know, when, when Buddy Holly died. It was that, for me personally, I, I had seen, and this was 1974, we'd gone through the Woodstock era, mm-hmm. you know, the singer-songwriter era, that's where we were, we were, we were and that we were in the arena rock, and I, I, it was horrible. I'd never, ever heard that story. Yeah, that's yeah. fucking incredible. It's out there. It's oh, out shit. there. The story's out there, yeah. Wow. Yeah breezing by some of the 70s a lot of people are either on the fence or firmly on either side of the 80s and what music was produced and how how it affected modern music uh do you have any thoughts on the good and bad of the 80s well it's funny uh going into the 80s i had become a parent had two two babies Mm -hmm. i was working real hard earning a living, uh, you know, just, just doing anything to, to support my family. So there were a lot of things, and I think this happens a lot of times uh, to people when they're, uh, when they're young and have a, a new family. You're so consumed with uh, taking care of your family sometimes that you miss some things, and that can be anything from politics to film to reading to music. Mm-hmm. And so while I still listened to music at the time in the early 80s, uh, I was still listening to radio at that time, FM radio. Uh, I would listen to whatever was on the radio. It, it, for me, um, nothing really was rocking my world. I heard music that I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just it wasn't moving me as, as it was before. There was a lot of the... Uh, it seemed like a lot of the stuff that was coming out of England at the time were new bands. They uh, 
was techno stuff. Mm. He, some of the stuff from the U.S. Uh, Blondie uh, they had more of a tech techno feel to it. Um, uh, there were guys that came along that 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 did that did move me. That, there was something in them that that was moving me as some, with some depth. Elvis Costello, people like that. Uh, I'm I'm sure I'm going to be missing. Uh, I'm forgetting some things, some mm-hmm. people. But uh, it was a little bit of a confusing time for me. I couldn't pay as much attention to music as I would like because I was busy raising my family. Yeah. But musically, it was I wasn't as uh, focused on it as I had been before. Right on. I'd imagine that's about how the 80s and the 90s went for you because you were yeah. raising kids through all of that. Right. Um, so jumping to modern days and your your recent retirement, is there any band that is younger that you have your eyes on? Um, every now and then someone will come along and I, I heard somebody, I, just by accident, I think I saw him on, um, live from Daryl's house a few years ago. It was a younger guy. He's originally from Chicago, and I think his father was a music critic. Mm-hmm. And he moved from Chicago. Of course, this is going back now. Again, this is going back four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. So it's not new. But uh, he moved. He loved soul music uh, growing up so much. Listened to his father, uh, his father's collection. He moved to Memphis and got involved with the mu- music scene there. And the guy does or was doing Memphis soul music. This white kid, you know, moved there and just. I, I think he's. Yeah, I think he might even be Jewish. And it's. Funny that this yeah. white kid, that's, and that's the effect that music has on us, and it's what's so exciting. Eli, Eli Smith I like, uh, Gary Clark, mm. Gary Clark Jr. Uh, he's someone that I like because he combines blues, that you can feel a little bit of Hendrix in there. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I like them. There, there's other people I'm just, I'm not able to think of, of them yeah, right yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, as a side note, Taj Mahal and Keb Mo released an album together recently. Wow. And it's fucking fantastic. You, right. should, you should probably get on that. It's, yeah. it's really worth it. See, that's what happened to me in the 90s was uh, rather than so much discovering a lot of new people was mm-hmm. rediscovering or rediscovering a lot of older music is what happened to me. I remember when, you know, I've always uh, since the mid-60s uh, had a strong taste for blues music. Uh, but Eric Clapton did this homage album to his heroes with, uh, from the cradle and that blew me away. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in listening to that, that uh, was an urging for me to go back and, and listen to the original music. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Mm. And a friend of mine gave me, he knew I liked blues music, and he gave me a Howlin' Wolf compilation. And I didn't take it out of my, uh, the CD out of my car player for probably three months. <laughs> it just, I have, I, I think probably of all the musicians, I have probably a higher regard for Howlin' Wolf than anyone because his music was innovative. He, there were different eras that he went through with different lead guitarists. What he was doing, he did it pretty quickly. You know, well, he wasn't taking the four to five years to do an album. He would do an album in you know a week. Yeah. And uh, Buddy Guy was, I think, one of the musicians that would sometimes sit in that whole Chicago Chess Records thing. So 
that urged me to, to uh, egg me on to, uh, to read his biography. And my, my admiration grew, him, grew for him, not, not only as a, a musician, but as a human being. The guy overcame so much and, and did so much with his life uh, with, uh, while earning great respect from, from people around him. And I, I just, uh, so that was one thing that I just, for me, in the 90s was a rediscovery of some of the older music. Mm. I kind of went back to my roots and uh, started just looking back and, and, and sometimes would be surprised and go, oh, wow, he did that, you know, uh, or musicians, guys that were uh, side musicians with a, a bigger star that later on came into uh, to their own. And I didn't realize that they had, uh, like Lou Rawls was uh, one of... Uh, uh, Sam Cooke's singers mm. and Lou Rawls when I was when I was a young man in the late 60s early 70s he was a giant right on through to the early 80s guy had a, an incredible voice and he was one of Sam Cooke's singers <laughs> you know so that's what I love about music yeah. is the just the uh, the connections the uh six degrees of separation yeah. the ebb and flow of it yeah. was very yeah. interesting yeah. at the time so going forward in music is there a certain genre you want to focus on i know that you listen to a lot of different stuff but uh, um, with hopefully a little more free time for you is there a yeah. certain thing that you want to dig into what's really weird about me is i'll be stuck in a, a genre or band uh say like one of my favorite bands uh are the mavericks uh, who had, were real big in the 90s they were winning grammys i wasn't into them I discovered them in the late 90s. And so I, I just went back, like, as I will do, I'll go back and gobble up everything that they've done and became huge fans. Uh, they're, they're a great performance band. They, they'll do three-hour shows. Mm. Uh, Raul Malo, I think, has one of the best voices ever in uh, uh, pop and rock music. He's an incredible, uh, has an incredible talent. He's a Cuban boy from Miami. And he sings in English and Spanish, which yeah, is really it, awesome. And started out doing Led Zeppelin covers in Miami. And uh, so I'll be going along, stuck in listening to this band. And then one day I'll hear something, I'll hear something different that will uh, distract me. And I'll go like uh, the way I discovered the gorillas. Um, I was just, just stunned by their creativity that they could do this melange of uh, music and creating this whole, it was almost like reading a book, you know, the, the, their music. Mm. And, and they have, you know, they had uh, different uh, styles that they've done. So I don't have anything in particular. Uh, it might be something very old. It might be something very new. Some, if something uh, strikes a chord mm. within me. Yeah. Cool. Um, so any final thoughts for the, the listeners uh, sometimes, you know, uh, music critics, you know, they, they have a job, they're fulfilling. But uh, I've been disappointed more by music critics than they've pleased me. Uh, one of the worst albums I ever bought in my life was based on a recommendation from a music critic, and it was a horrible album. What I would suggest to listeners is just like what you like. Don't let anybody influence you one way or the other. And if there's something that you really love, delve into what influenced that type of music. It, it might help you discover 
other types of great music or where that music came from. You know, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, how do people, uh, and, I, and I just, uh, well, you know, one thing, you know, I, 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 every, there has, everybody has to work. 